Well, happy 4th of July. <laughs> Hopefully you're having a, a good day so far. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn over to Galatians this morning. We're going to take a little break away from our... Uh, from Corinthians, and we want to focus on um, our freedom in Christ. And to do that, I just want to do a, a small little series, uh, just a couple weeks actually, on dealing with the idea that we're in a fight. <laughs> we're in a fight. And I want us to be encouraged to keep up that fight, because um, at times... It seems that the church wants to give up uh, in general and in a, in a, in a multitude of, of ways. Um, one, concerning our, our country. I think, uh, unfortunately, people have given up on our country. They feel that um, there's, there's no way for this country ever to uh, come back uh, to what... It was founded on the principles, and uh, you know you, you kind of have that kind of an attitude, and you think, well, you know what, it is what it is, and um, we're just going to have to bear with it. Uh, I personally believe that um, God can work miracles. <laughs> Amen. I mean, He can definitely work miracles, and I think that we need to be reminded of the fact that. Uh, the very founding of our country was just that. Um, it was a, a country that was founded miraculously. And um, I just think we need to be reminded of the fact that, that God wants us to uh, not, not just give up on, on, our, on our country. And so today I want to just introduce this series um, focusing on our our freedom in Christ, not just as a country, but our freedom in Christ. And, you know, today's July 4th, and it's a day when our nation celebrates its birth, and um, we appreciate the qualities, I trust, that our nation celebrates, um, has as the United States of America. It's a unique country in the world today. Um, and besides all the, the fireworks and the parades and the barbecues and everything else that goes on, um, when people think of the 4th of July, a lot of people think of one thing that comes to mind, and that is the word freedom. Freedom. Freedom is perhaps the central, the, the founding principle, you might say, of our nation. Freedom is what Independence Day is all about, Right? And so freedom continues to be <clears throat> at the heart of, of what it means to be an American. If, to be an American means that you're a free person. Um, now that hasn't always been the case. We've had a history of slavery in our country, and we don't want to overlook that. But it was corrected. And quite simply, to be born in America is to know a lot about freedom. A lot. And we're surrounded by it. Uh, we, we live in it, we hear about it, we appreciate it, I trust. And we have a, 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 a day like July 4th, it falls on a Sunday this year, but to celebrate 
the freedom that we experience here in our country. But freedom should also strike us and strike at our hearts for a different reason. And as believers, as those who trust in Christ for the salvation of our souls, um, freedom should really be something that is central to the understanding of our faith in Christ. We have a freedom in Christ that we didn't have before. And so many times when you talk to people who are not Christians and you try to give the gospel to them, and why would I want to commit to that? It sounds like just a you know, party killer life. You can't do anything. You're restricted by all these rules and regulations. That's what they think. And really, it's just the opposite. When you come to Christ, you're free. <laughs> you're freed of all the, the rules and the regulations. Um, in fact, Martin Luther once wrote, a treatise on our freedom, the freedom of a Christian. That's what he entitled it. And in the treatise, he's put it this way, and I like this. He says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is, perfectly, is a perfectly dutiful servant, subject to all. And he goes on in his treatise, and he spends the rest of the time defending those two seemingly contradictory statements. How can you say a Christian is perfectly free, the Lord of all, subject to none, and yet, at the same time, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant, subject to all? Um, Basically, what he says is very basic. He says, Jesus Christ frees us from the slavery of good works. He frees us from the slavery of good works. Why? Because the Bible says very clearly that we're not justified by good works, but we're justified only by faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are completely, completely, entirely free people. Not under any sort of law that we must keep in order to earn our salvation or keep our salvation. Luther says that we are freed from the belief in good works Justification through works. And it is in this way we are freed from the law. But he goes on to say, he says, but we're not free from doing good. (laughs) We're not free from doing good. We're not set free from doing good works. Matter of fact, Luther says that good works are the imperative for any Christian. We must do good works because we are people who live in this world, a world of flesh and bones. He, he compares it to food. Um, perhaps some of you are getting hungry. You smell the food across the way, or you're thinking of your barbecue a little later on. You're sitting there going, okay, get on there, preacher, you know, I'm getting hungry. Uh, you're already thinking about the food you're going to eat. Do you think you could go without eating Food or drinking water? No, you couldn't. Absolutely not. I mean, you might last a day or two, three, maybe. But let me ask you this. Do food and drink justify us before God? (laughs) Absolutely not. But we need it. And it's the same way with good works. We do not need them for justification, but we shouldn't dismiss them either just like we wouldn't dismiss 
eating food this afternoon with family and friends because of the fact that we're already saved by grace alone through faith. You still have to eat. And so you'll go home, you'll eat, but you'll also go home and you'll leave this place and we should commit ourselves to doing as a perfectly dutiful servant good works subject to all. And I think that sort of paradox is a good thing for us to understand. It's a good thing to keep in mind, especially on July 4th, when freedom is at the forefront of our minds. Just because we have been granted certain freedoms does not mean in any way, sense, or form that as Christians we should exercise all those freedoms all the time. In the Gospels, Jesus, remember, he was sending out his disciples two by two, and he's proclaiming, told them to proclaim the message, what? The kingdom of God is what? At hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. See, we don't just live in this world. We have a joint citizenship. We are kingdom people of God's kingdom, but we're also people of the United States of America. We're citizens here. As Americans, the ultimate document of our freedom would be considered the Bill of Rights. It outlines freedoms that apparently the government is restricted from revoking. Now they're trying very hard, (laughs) but hopefully it will stand. And as a way of introduction to that, I want to look at a couple of these freedoms before we get into our text in 2 Corinthians You think of the Fifth Amendment. Fifth Amendment says this, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. See, in that amendment, what are we guaranteed? We're guaranteed to keep our own property. If you own property, the government just can't come into your house and just take it away for no reason whatsoever. All the things that You work for hard in your life, they're yours. They're yours to keep and pass on to your relatives. No one else has a right to them. And so we've been afforded these certain luxuries through hard work. And in America, we are free to express that and keep those things for ourselves. We're we're free to take care of ourselves. Now, we know the climate is changing Government wants to take care of everything for us, thinking they can do a better job, which they've clearly proven they can't. But they're living in disillusionment. So, you know, the exercise goes on. But what's interesting, when you come to the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is sending out these people, he says, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And then he says this, Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, Do not greet anyone on the road. So he tells these 72 disciples to lay down all the things that they have earned, all the things that they've worked for. I mean, if you're going on a trip, you're not going to go with nothing. I've never heard of someone just going on a trip and not even taking a suitcase, carry on, nothing. Well, I'll just deal with it when I get there. You know, that would be kind of a nice luxury to have, I guess. You know, you don't have to haul all that stuff through the airport. But usually you take a bag or two or three or four, whatever, depending on who's packing, um, you know, on your trip. Why? Because you want to be prepared. Jesus told them, don't take anything. And for the disciples, 
they have a different kind of freedom in Christ. It's a freedom from property. They don't have to take anything. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm going to take care of you. Um, The First Amendment guarantees Americans more freedoms. One of them is freedom of speech. We've heard a lot about this. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. This is the law that allows us to hold opinions and express them, hopefully without interference. And yes, the climate's changing in this direction as well. This is becoming more and more uh, a problem for a lot of people. If we want to speak against our government, this allows us the freedom to do so. But it also protects, on the other side, people who want to say vile things and harmful things and indecent things. So you ask the question, does a Christian have the freedom of speech as a Christian? Are we just free to say whatever we want? Whenever we want. Well, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4.14 says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, for the Apostle Paul, there were restrictions placed on his speech. We're not to boast about ourselves. We're not to boast about our accomplishments, our children, even our church. What are we to boast about openly the cross of Christ. And when you think about it, what else is there to boast about? The law of Christ frees us from shallow, empty speech in order that we may speak of things that matter, in order that we may speak of the cross, things that can change people's eternal destiny. And one of the last freedoms, as far as our introduction goes, is the freedom of religion. In the First Amendment, it says, God shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Well, again, in Galatians 4.2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, Paul says simply, you know what? We're not free to practice our religion however we want, whenever we want. He says there's a very specific way to practice our faith. And he points that out in verse 2. He says, how are we to do that? Bear one another's burdens. That fulfills the highest law in the land that's even higher than the Constitution of the United States, and that's the law of Christ. The law of Christ can be summed up in one word, love. You can find no deeper, no more robust practice of love than when we bear one another's burdens. And what does the law of Christ set us free from? Well, it sets us free from selfishness. It sets us free from our own self-interest in order that we may experience the joy that can only be found in a deep, meaningful relationships, relationships that are not afraid to share burdens with one another. At times, serving as a Redwood City chaplain, I am called upon, and usually when the phone rings and they want a chaplain, they're not inviting you to dinner. You're not going to a dinner party. You're not going to a, a, you know, a concert or anything like that. Something always, always, something tragic has happened. It's always a call of desperation. 
And sometimes those calls come at very uh, odd times, you might say. Inappropriate times. Sometimes the call comes when you're at dinner or when you're in the midst of a very, very busy schedule that day and you have to get things done and you get a chaplain call. Or they come at 2.30 in the morning when you're sound asleep. You got to get up and get dressed and go out. Why? Because something tragic has occurred in someone's life and you know what? They're requesting your presence as a spiritual leader in the community. So in that situation as a believer, am I free to do whatever I want as a Christian chaplain when the call comes? Am I free to say, well, you know what, I'm in the middle of my stake here, sorry, click. No. What are you doing calling me at 2.30 in the morning? I'm asleep, don't you know that? I don't have that freedom. We don't have that luxury as Christians. But I do have a freedom. I have a freedom to respond in love with the message of hope in possibly a time of great grief. And it's because of the bond of Christ that I'm free to go into the homes of these people who are going through dire situations, a trial beyond trials sometimes. Never met these people before. But I'm able to share with them in their moment of grief and hopefully provide some sort, just a hint of peace and calm amongst their storm of life. See, the freedom of Christ does that for all of us. It's like that. It, It closes some doors in order that we may experience true freedom in others. My time is not my own when I'm called upon in order that I could be free to fulfill the law of Christ. And nor is yours. Your time is not your own. We're not free to say anything we want to say, but we are bound. We're, we're bound only to boast in the cross of Christ Jesus because nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. We are freed by Jesus Christ to true speech, speech words that can change people's lives. And the freedom of Jesus Christ frees us from our possessions. And so often our possessions own us. The law of Christ helps us to lay everything down, (laughs) to take no purse or sandals on our trip, but to trust God to provide, to experience true freedom from the things that so many times occupy so much of our time and energy. Just as Jesus was very God and had all the rights and privileges entitled to him as God would. In Philippians 2, it says, he set them down. He laid them aside for our sake. So we too have been afforded many great rights as citizens in the kingdom of America. (laughs) But there are times when we must lay down our rights and lay down our freedoms in order that we may truly be free. And we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords the president of all presidents. And when we are truly free, we can say with the psalmist and all the people of the earth say in Psalm 66, be joyful in God, all you lands. Sing the glory of his name. Sing the glory of his praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great strength, 
Your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down before you, sings to you, sings out your name. Come now and see the works of God, how wonderful he is in his doing toward all people. He turned the sea into dry land, verse 5 says, so that they went through the water on foot, and there we rejoiced in him. In his might he rules forever. His eyes keep watch over the nations. Let no rebel rise up against him. Bless our God, you people. Make the voice of his praise to be heard, who holds our souls in life and will not allow our feet to slip. Like I said, there's a lot of people who, especially conservative Christians, are just fed up with the American political system to the point of just quitting. (laughs) They're giving up on America. I don't believe we need to give up on America. I don't think that we should ever give up. I think we need to keep up the fight. And I think we need to understand that... um, when we, when we come to Christ, he expects us to live each and every day um, for him. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. Paul says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. You know, this morning, I kind of want to use that, just that one verse as a springboard into this series, Keep Up the Fight. And if you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this would be our text for this morning. It's always too soon to quit. Would you agree with me? Yeah. It's always too soon to quit. You know, you, you think of uh, the way people quit. It's a universal symbol for quitting. It's either a white flag or maybe a towel. <laughs> uh, when two armies are engaged in conflict, one begins waving a, a white flag, what happens? You know what happens? They're giving up. They're surrendering. They're giving up the fight. They're admitting defeat. Now, I don't know if it happens that way in real life, <laughs> but I kind of do because I've watched videos from the Iraqi war when you had thousands of Iraqis waving their <laughs> white socks and underwear and everything else to the Americans because they didn't want to die. They were surrendering. They were giving up the fight. The white flag means you win, I lose. Or... Maybe you watch boxing, and in the world of boxing, what does the, the fighter do when he wants to give up? His trainer throws in the towel. Throws in the towel. That, that means, you know, no more for me. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not going to get beat up anymore. And, you know, at some point, we'll, we'll all have that opportunity to, to wave the flag or toss in the towel in just about every area of life. doesn't matter what area. It could be our marriage, it could be our business, it could be our financial goals, it could be our weight loss ambitions, it could be even our country, it could be even your effort to live as a Christian. 
You get discouraged. You want to give up. See, we can reach a point when we're all ready to say, that's it, that's all, I'm done, I'm not taking this anymore. And then we think that we can just move on to something else. Or move on to nothing else. (laughs) Well, it's too soon to quit. Warren Wearsby, great commentator and teacher, he he wrote a book called that, Too Soon to Quit. (laughs) And... uh, he published the book when he was 80. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And it wasn't even his last book he published. The Lord finally took him home to be with him in 89. But I agree with the premise of his book. He says this, In any good and worthy endeavor, it's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. See, there's going to be challenges to be sure, but you know what? You have to power through them. Because once you quit, what do you do? You've eliminated forever the possibility of winning. Once you quit, it's all over. You can't win if you don't play. That's why quitting is fatal every time. But there's something else that is equally as debilitating is throwing in the towel because sometimes maybe the devil can't get you to quit but he'll try to convince you to do this if he can't get you to quit he'll convince you to do this what is just as detrimental to your life as quitting i believe it's thinking about quitting (laughs) thinking about quitting contemplating it, thinking it over, obsessing over it. And I'm not just talking about a fleeting, well, I ought to turn in my notice kind of a thing, impulse that you all get from time to time, argument with your boss or whatever it might be. See, if your enemy can't get you to quit, he'll do his best to get you to the point where you'll want to quit. (laughs) Where thoughts of quitting prevent you from giving it your all. Practically, if if Satan can't destroy your marriage through divorce, he'll seek to destroy it with apathy, with hopelessness, with what's the use kind of an attitude. If he can't get you to quit your job or quit your ministry or quit your church, he'll try to get you to quit caring and quit trying. If he can't defeat you, he'll deflate you. The Bible uses this term, losing heart. Heard that? Do not lose heart. The phrase appears about a half a dozen times in the New Testament. Every time it appears as an exhortation to keep on keeping on, staying in the fight. I agree with Dr. Wearsby. When you're involved in a worthy endeavor... It's always, always, always too soon to quit. And what's more, it's even too soon to think about quitting. It's too soon to despair. It's too soon to lose heart. Because God has not finished yet the work that he has begun in you. And he promises to do that. None of us here today are immune to discouragement. 
We all know what it's like to want to give up. We're not immune to it. But neither are we powerless against it in Christ. Amen? There's no way to, there is a way, I should say, there is a way to conquer the will to quit. It can help you overcome even the greatest moments of despair. If you think of the Apostle Paul who wrote these words that we're about to read in, in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, um, you think about his life. Why did not Paul lose heart? Do you ever think of that? Why he didn't lose heart? I mean, the purpose of these next couple messages is hopefully to prevent us from not only throwing in the tower quitting, but even thinking about throwing in the tower quitting. I want to encourage us because it's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon even to think about quitting. And 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, and we've gone did some introductory information on the Apostle Paul when we introduced 1 Corinthians. But if any man had a reason to lose heart, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, his life pretty much consisted of one overwhelming challenge after another. For example, on five different occasions, he was beaten with a whip. 39 lashes. It was custom to give 39 because they thought if you, if you gave somebody 40, it would kill them. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was pelted with stones and left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. I mean, can you imagine that? Three times? I wouldn't go sailing with this brother. You're going on the boat yourself. I'm staying on the, on the, on the land with that kind of record. Three times he was shipwrecked. Once he spent a day and night drifting aimlessly at sea. He was also betrayed. He was abandoned by his so-called friends. He was the target of religious hypocrites. He was also the target of the hostile government against those who were trusting in Christ and teaching the gospel. He was criticized among the churches. He was often broke, cold, and hungry. His life was anything but easy. A lesser man might have given up much earlier in the game like after the first beating, (laughs) or maybe after missing his first meal at sea. See, not only did Paul refuse to quit, he refused to even think about quitting. He refused to surrender to despair. He would not, he could not lose heart. And you know what? Neither should you, neither should I. It's far too soon to even think about it. So look at these verses with me, and you can just follow along as I read them here in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4 here. It says in verse 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Today we're going to look at verse 16. And in verse 16 he talks about the crucial first step 
you have to take in overcoming this temptation, this draw to want to give up and lose heart. So there's three basic uh, don't lose heart (laughs) realities here that we see in this text. And the first one is simply this. Life is a daily event. We lose sight of that. By daily event, I mean a daily challenge each and every day. You could even say it's a daily battle. Someone once said, the thing they don't tell you growing up about life is this. Life, it's every single day. (laughs) It's every single day. It may seem mind-bogglingly obvious to that fact that life is a daily event. But I think sometimes we find a way of convincing ourselves that it isn't. How many times do we watch, do we catch ourselves thinking that someday we'll get to the point in life we're just on cruise control the rest of the way? Where we've conquered all of the problems of life and life is perpetually like the last five minutes of a really feel-good movie. (laughs) But guess what? That doesn't happen in real life. Not for you, not for me, not for the richest people in the world. It doesn't happen. All you have to do is read the news. You'll never get to the point where you'll say, you know what, it'll be smooth sailing from here on out. Why? Because life is a daily event. Which is to say, it's a, it's a daily battle. It's a war. And Paul acknowledged this turmoil going on in his life in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the end of the chapter that we're in right now in verse 31. He says, I died daily. That's what Paul said. I face death daily is what he's saying there. He's saying, in effect, that when troubles come, they come at us every single day. If your objective is to lose weight or get in better shape, you already know that's a daily challenge. That's tough. It's a daily challenge. You cannot improve your health by doing healthy things two or three days a week. It won't work. And then binge on the other days. It's not going to work. If your objective is to strengthen your marriage, you already know that it's an everyday endeavor. You can't just push a little button, bring home a bouquet of flowers and everything's good. No, it doesn't work that way. Every single day. You can't just be nice to your spouse two or three days of the week. That's not going to work. Here's my point. If you want to be the type of person that will never lose heart, who will never, ever yield to despair, you begin with what I call reality check. You remind yourself the problems of life will come after me every single day, and I will deal with them every single day. Everybody knows that when we all get to heaven, (laughs) 
What a day of rejoicing that will be, right? That hymn. But until then, guess what? We're in a battle. We're in a war. We're in the trenches. We're face to face with the enemy every single day. And that's the way it will be until we're out of here. Well, there's a second reality. Not just life is a daily event, but the second reality quickly is the externals of life are secondary. The externals of life are secondary. And guess what? They always will be. They always will be. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly, in verse 16, we are wasting away. We are wasting away. Maybe he's being literal here. I mean, he was beat up quite a bit. His body probably had a lot of aches and pains. But maybe it's also a metaphor. Maybe he's saying outwardly we are wasting away. He could be referring to the the punishment that his body has physically taken over the decades. The stripes, the stones, the hunger, the, the sleepless nights, the shipwrecks. He might be saying, I don't know how much more this old body can take. It's wasting away. I mean, you can relate to that as you get older. Even though we don't have physical persecution here in this country, our bodies get tired, our health takes a downward turn, our energy diminishes, we become increasingly aware maybe that, wow, you know what, there's fewer days ahead of me than there are behind me. And we know also when we get older, this body doesn't define who I am. I am not my physical limitations. I'm not going to lose heart just because I'm getting older. It's just one more year. Big deal. I mean, today I feel more alive than I've ever felt. That's the attitude that we should have. Paul could be talking literally here, but there's a good chance some say that he's speaking a metaphor. He's saying outwardly we are wasting away. He's not just talking about the physical body possibly. Maybe he's even talking about every aspect of life in the real world, the culture in which we live, the out-of-control situations we face, the emotional battles we experience, the attacks from the enemies we endure. The challenges our country faces on a daily basis. See, Paul is challenging us to remember that just like the body is not as important as the soul, the external things of life, the physical things, are not as important as the spiritual things. We're in the world, and we have to deal with the things of the world every day as believers. But as Jesus taught in John 17, we're not of the world. <laughs> Amen? Someone said, this home is, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Or a song we sang, I think it was last week or the week before, Bound for Glory. This world is not my home, I'm here but for a moment. It's all I've ever known, but this world is not my home. See, if, if your hope is in eternal things of life alone, what you earn, what you own, what you achieve, then guess what? You're always going to be susceptible to frequently being discouraged. Why? Because it's impossible that any of those things would ever be enough. It's impossible that you ever earn enough. It's impossible that you ever own enough. It's impossible that you ever achieve enough. 
even if you have them in endless supply. And of course, we know that that doesn't exist. Nobody has an endless supply of anything. But the externals of life are in an ever-moving target, you might say. They're changing. They're up. They're down. They're left. They're right. They're here today. They're tomorrow. And if you've always got to be on the upswing of success to be happy in all those areas, you're going to find yourself, you're on the verge of losing heart almost every day. And this is the second reality check. Many of the things that we spend our lives pursuing, guess what? They don't matter at all much in the grand scheme of things. The external things of life are secondary and they always will be. It's the intangibles, it's the invisibles that matter the most. This is why the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, Father, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever, he says. So life is a daily event. The externals of life are secondary. And thirdly, here in closing, renewal needs to happen on a daily basis. Renewal needs to happen on a daily basis. Look at what he says in verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though we're out, Outwardly, we're wasting away, but look at what he says. Yet inwardly, we are renewed day by day. We are being renewed day by day. Continuous tense there. It's something that's happening. Paul said before that he faces death on a daily basis, but he doesn't lose heart. Why? Because he's being renewed inwardly on a daily basis. Someone once criticized the motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, saying that the, the, the problem is that motivation simply doesn't last. He was one of these positive guys, you know. And Zig Ziglar responded this way, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Neither does Bathing. That's why you need it on a daily basis. See, it's the same with being renewed. It's not a once-a-day event. It's not a Sunday-only event. It needs to be happening daily. And we have a tendency to, to run on empty for as long as we can, exhausting every resource until there's nothing left to go. And then the state of emergency hits, sets in, and then we say, God, give me a break. I need a, a second wind here. See, if you constantly wait until you're completely winded, you're completely on empty to take any kind of action, or if you consistently wait until the tank is empty before you do anything about it, you're always going to be on the verge of emotional exhaustion. And what does emotional exhaustion lead to? Despair. And what does despair lead to? causing someone to lose heart. 
throw in the towel. We'll raise the white flag. Want to quit. So today I'm challenging you to embrace this reality check. Commit like the Apostle Paul to being inwardly renewed on a daily basis. Well, how do you do this? Three quick things. First of all, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Paul says in Ephesians 4.23, to be made new in the spirit's in the spirit attitude of your mind. That word spirit could be attitude as well. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. He says we do that by rejecting who we are. Stepping away from our former lives, our former selves, and focusing on who we will become. And what is that? Like God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 to 24. Remind yourself who you are in Christ. Renew your mind, which means to remind yourself on a daily basis that God didn't create you for the purpose of pursuing accolades and acquisitions and and fame in this life. He created you. Why? To be more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To be conformed, as Romans 8.29 says, to his image, to Christ's image. How do you experience the renewal of your mind? You take charge of what you see. You take charge of what you hear. You take charge of what you say. You quit staring at your phone 10 hours a day. You quit reading every toxic piece of propaganda disguised as news out there. You stop binging on Netflix. You stop listening to music that doesn't build up your soul. You refuse to participate in conversations that tear others down. Instead, what do you do? You spend time in God's Word. You you find uplifting programs to watch and to listen to that empower your soul through their teaching. You steer every conversation, hopefully, into a positive direction. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is what? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what does he say? Think on these things. Think about these things. That doesn't happen automatically. That's hard work. And it needs to be done on a daily basis for most of us, all of us. This leads right to the next strategy for renewal. Not just renew your mind, but renew your spirit. You renew your spirit by spending time alone with God each day. Uh, It includes time in the Word. It includes time in prayer. It includes time in worship. You don't have to be here in a, uh, a building to worship God. You can worship Him at home. Warren Wiersbe once said this, The most important meeting we as leaders attend is that daily personal meeting with the Lord. Before the day begins, when worship and meditation increase our faith as we receive the orders of the day. I like that. Our time alone with God also includes moments of quiet reflection. The Old Testament word for that is what? Meditation. Meditation. It's not crossing your your knees and humming and putting your hands up. That's not meditation. It's not a complicated process. You just take a a few minutes to sit in silence before the Lord. Say nothing. 
focusing your thoughts on God. Think about his mercy. Think about his grace. Think about your salvation. Think about his love, his forgiveness. Think about the promises. Just think about him. Doesn't have to be a long period of time, but think about him. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 46.10. What? Be still and know that I am God. Be still. This will renew your mind. It will renew your spirit. And the third strategy here for renewal is renewing your heart. Another way to say this is give yourself an emotional lift every day. Something you enjoy. Spending time with a friend. Spending time listening, listening to music or playing music. Even watching something appropriate on TV that makes you laugh. I think it's, in, it's important. A lot of people who've been near death have discovered that 10 minutes of genuine belly laughter would give them two hours of pain-free sleep. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's interesting. There's an Irish proverb that says this, a good laugh and a long sleep are the best cures in the doctor's book. <laughs> a good laugh and a long sleep. When's the last time you had a long sleep? Or a good laugh. It's biblical. Proverbs 17.22 says a joyful heart is good medicine. John Maxwell, who's a speaker to many CEOs and things like that, he said that there are some people who are fire lighters and there are other people who are firefighters. In other words, he says there are people who light the fire of hope in your life. And there are people who think that it's their job to snuff snuff out the fire of hope. We should avoid the firefighters and seek out the fire lighters. Spend time with those who uplifting attitudes encourage you. Renew your heart. Paul experienced the day-by-day renewal of his heart because he poured his life into relationships. He wasn't a loner. And when he couldn't be with the believers that he loved so much, he thought about them. He prayed for them. He thanked God for them. He, he wrote to them. That's what he wrote when he wrote Romans. Verses 11 and 12, he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. See, it's wonderful to be in a church that enjoys being together. Is it not? Amen? Amen. I hope so. (laughs) I mean, I encourage you to take time each and every day to give yourself an emotional lift, a chance to smile, a chance to laugh, a chance to share a good moment with someone close to you so that you can build up one another in the Lord. And as we close off, I'm reminded of King David and probably one of the most beautiful psalms that he wrote, Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Then it says in verse 3, He restores or renews my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. See, that's the God that we serve. God wants to lead us every day to a green pasture beside a still water. Every day he wants to refresh us, to restore us, to renew our soul.
And when you make it a point to be renewed in Him yourself on a daily basis, despair, guess what? It doesn't have a chance. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Your resources are never depleted. You never have to tap into your reserves. Your tank is always full. That's why Paul could say, we never lose heart. We never lose heart. We have a lot of reasons to lose heart at times because life is a mess sometimes and we're in a never-ending battle. It's one thing after another, day after day after day. But our hope is not in the things of this world. Neither is our hope in ourselves. As the hymn says, our hope is what? Built on nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. See, it's through Him, it's through Christ, it's through the power of His resurrection, through the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives that we are renewed every day. Our mind is being renewed. Our spirit is being renewed. Our heart is being renewed. We need to let it happen in our lives. We need to not give up, not throw in the towel. It's always too soon to quit. Whether it's our own spiritual life, or the life of our country. It's too soon to quit on America, my friends. It's too soon to quit on life as we know it. And it's always too soon to even think about quitting. So we need to choose instead to be renewed in our hearts, our minds, and our spirit every single day. Amen? Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the encouragement of the Apostle Paul. Lord, that we don't have to be those who lose heart. That as a matter of fact, we're commanded not to lose heart. And we have every reason not to because Christ is victorious over sin and death. And we are in Christ as his followers. And so we know how the game ends. We win. It may be a difficult process getting to the finish line, but we will get there, and we will be victorious. And so, Father, we just thank you and we praise you for your goodness, your grace. Thank you for using us and choosing us and allowing your Spirit to dwell within us so that we may leave this place and to spread the hope of the gospel to our family, our friends, our neighbors, this community, the world. Because, Lord, it is too, too early to just give up, whether it's on our country or on anything else. And, Father, we do pray for our leaders. We pray that you would enable them to make decisions that will benefit all those they lead. And I pray today, if there's someone here who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, in Christ alone for their salvation, Lord. Without Christ, you have no hope. All you have is despair. You are filled with anguish every day because you have a a burden of sin that you're carrying around and there's nothing you can do about it. The only thing you can do is trust in the one who has already taken care of it for you. He's taken your sin upon himself and he's paid the price that God demands And the Bible says that 
The payment for sin is death. And Jesus Christ willingly gave up his life as a perfect man so that we could trust in his sacrifice for our sins. And I would encourage you today, if you're listening or if you're here this morning and you have yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ, cry out to him today, Lord, be merciful. Lord, I need your mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Give me a new life in Christ. Help me, even in my unbelief. Help me deal with all that's on my, the plate that's before me, Lord. And I pray that you would grant grace to those people, that you would call them to be your very own. And as believers, that we'd be encouraged today. We live in a wonderful country. We have the freedom to express our faith still. And we pray that we would continue to pray and to work hard to allow our country to once again honor you with everything that it it stands for. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.